Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to the Local Church. Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so grateful to be back with my church, Familia. I'm just so grateful to be here today. Thank you. Can, can we give God some praise for our pastors in this church who over the past four weeks came and brought such timely good words? I'm, I'm grateful for Pastor Steve and his transparency and what that taught us. I'm thankful for, for, for Pastor Garland and his, his fatherly wisdom that he shared with us, for Dr. Pastor Johnny Butler, one of my good friends, who always challenges me of what it means to focus on my first ministry, which is my wife and my family. Such timely words as I've taken time to rest and prepare prepare myself for the future with my family, for what I believe God is going to do for the rest of this year. I'm excited. I truly believe that the best is still before us, and I'm excited for all that God is going to do. You know, just the past several weeks, uh, the, the amount of people that have surrendered their life to Jesus, the people who have visited, and for those of you who visited, who said, you know what, I'm going to call this place home. God has done some great things. He is growing this place. And so I realize that some of you here, maybe some of you online, because I've been out the past four weeks, you have no idea who I am. So let me reintroduce myself and give some updates before we begin. Can I do that? Yes. Again, I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and mi padre es cubano. I am half Cuban. I'm pretty sure you can't tell by simply looking at me, but yo soy cubano. And I'm sure that all of you are aware at this point that my people and my island for 62 years have been under the tyranny of an oppressive regime. And they're fighting back. And they're rebelling, and it's led to a humanitarian crisis that affects a lot of us here in South Florida. And over the past several weeks, I've been communicating with some partnerships that we have and some pastors. Because of your generous giving, we've partnered for many years with the Excel Leadership Network, and our church has been able to raise up and encourage and send out Cuban Spanish-speaking pastors here in South Florida, and because of your generosity and our partnership with the Excel Leadership Network, we've been able to raise up and encourage and support hundreds of pastors in Cuba to love and serve the local community that God has placed them in. And we've been communicating with them. We've been communicating with the crisis that they're going through. And, and Church Family, I want to let you know that uh, when, when it is the right time and when we are able to actually do something that will affect the people on the ground and not just get discarded by the government, we're going to do that. We have some work to do, but, but the report that they are giving to us and all the churches that partner with them is simply this, to pray for freedom. And not simply freedom from the communist regime, but more importantly, they said pray for freedom in Christ. Because all the seeds that we've been able to help plant by encouraging and supporting these pastors, they're saying it is producing fruit like seemingly never before. That people, their hearts are ripe to receive the hope that is in Jesus because they have turned their hope away from a government. They have turned their hope away from maybe what the rest of the world can do. And they're turning their eyes to the only one who can supply all of their needs physically and spiritually. 
and they're celebrating the life change and transformation that is happening. Now listen, the, the, the difficulty seems insurmountable. The pain and the suffering and the oppression that the people of Cuba are experiencing is nothing to take lightly. But, but in the darkness, especially in the darkness, the light shines so much brighter. And so we're going to keep you informed of, of what we are going to do as the local churches support them and to help bring freedom in that region. But from this point on, can we, can we agree with them and can we pray their biggest prayer request and to pray for freedom? Amen. Can we do that? Let's do that right now. Can we do that? Father, thank you. Thank you for Cuba. Thank you for those brave men and women, those pastors, those people who are suffering God for bringing awareness to that, Lord. And you have called us not simply just to watch on a screen or scroll through social media and to see a need and to ignore it. And so, Lord, it's literally our backyard. It's literally people in our familia, God. And so I ask that you would open up the doors to bring freedom, not just from what they're suffering through politically, God, but freedom from sin and death through the good news of you, Lord Jesus. Equip those pastors. Give those pastors hope. Help them to know that you are still victorious. And then God, that together we could help bring hope and life to those that are 90 miles away from our southernmost tip here in Florida. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people of God said, amen. So, yo soy cubano. Um, but you're probably like, but you don't look Cuban. And uh, that's because I'm, I'm half Korean. Like, this is why I look this way. Oh, mira el chinito. No, no, not chinito, coreano. Mi, mi, mi madre es coreano. My mother is Korean. So I'm half Korean, half Cuban. But get this, here's the clincher. Um, I was born in Nebraska. <laughs> I know. So I am a, a born Cuban-Korean cornhusker. <laughs> But don't applaud for that because I am not a farmer. I don't have a green thumb. In fact, all the things that I've tried to produce naturally in my backyard, in my garden, all of it has died, okay? And I know I'm probably not alone. I know the story for many of us is we don't know how to farm. We don't know how to produce things. And for the most part, that's okay. We got Publix. We got, you know, Sedanos. We got Uber. We can, we can ask for what we want and, and fresh produce can come to our house. But for those of you who do have gardens... For those of you who have been a part of not simply purchasing, but producing with your own hands, something that grows from, from seed to stock to, to fruitfulness, you know that there's this sense of appreciation. There's a sense of purpose when you've been able to produce fruit naturally on your own. And so I want to talk about that over the next few weeks. Today, we're beginning this series called Locally Grown. And over the next several weeks, I want to talk about how we can grow, how we can be the people that God has called us to be, that we're going to grow together and that we're going to grow some good things together right here where we are, that we don't have to necessarily go to the ends of the earth, that we don't have to necessarily you know, go on a mission trip, but right here where we are, we can grow some good things in our life and in our local community. So I want to talk about that over the next few weeks. I want to talk about what it means to see something grow now. Not forcefully, not feeling unnatural, not adding fertilizer, but being a part of, of fruitfulness, 
of natural transformation. I want that. I want that for my life. I want to be better. I want that for my, my family. I, I want us to, to be healthy. I want that for this church. I want us to continue to grow because healthy things grow. And that's what we're talking about, what it means to be locally grown, to see fruitfulness happen right here. And the reason this is so important for all of us is because I've experienced, we've experienced over the past 18 months that a lot of us, we've grown stagnant. We've grown accustomed and used to being distant from people. And instead of seeing progression in a lot of our lives, what, what we're seeing, if we're honest, is digression. Going back to, I don't need people, and I don't need relationship, and I don't need to be a part of things. But I'm here to declare today that that's not what God desires for us. God did not create us to simply live. He created us to live life to the full, to experience his purpose and his presence, to be called according to his purposes, to be part of of rescuing and setting people free from oppression to be part of the greatest movement in all of history. God has created us for fruitfulness. So get ready, church familia. I really believe the best is still before us. I'm looking forward to the rest of this year because growth is going to happen. Hope is going to rise transformation is going to occur. Healing is going to be experienced. Fruitfulness is what we're going to see. Turn in here, but tell them, get ready. I want us to get ready, but before we get ready, as we get ready, here's what I want us to know. Write this down. Here's our first big idea. Before we grow to get bigger, God grows us to be better. Personally, corporately, before we grow to get bigger, before we see all the things that we want to see happen and all the victories and all the success and all the accomplishments, before we grow to get bigger, God grows us to get better. Before we live out our destiny that God has designed us and created us for, he first wants to grow our character. Our character. It's about who we are. It's about what he's producing in us. So over the next several weeks, we're gonna be looking at this character that God wants to develop in us. More importantly, how we can see it bear fruit in our lives. And so turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, chapter 22. Here's what we'll be focusing on over the next five weeks. It says this, Galatians 5, 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Verse 23, uh, 24 says, uh, um, sorry, against such things there is no law, meaning that there is no limit to it, meaning that we can see growth in this to no end in our character. And verse 24 says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified their flesh with its passions and its desires. We have put aside me and my and my wants for, for the greater movement of the kingdom of God and what he's doing. Verse 25, and so if we live by the Spirit, if we've been made alive by the Spirit of God coming inside of us when our eyes have been opened to the good news of Jesus, if we have been transformed and we live by the Spirit, 
let us also walk by the Spirit, meaning let's put this into practice. Let's live this out every day. Now, we're going to talk more about this in upcoming weeks, but what we need to understand as we talk through this is that this is not a list of virtues following a list of vices. If you read the previous verses, Paul begins to define and enlist some works of the flesh that many of us, if we read it, we're like, thank God I don't live that way. Thank God that that doesn't describe my life. But this isn't what Paul is talking about. This isn't don't do this and do this. This isn't following a new set of rules. This isn't about rules at all. If we're going to understand the character that God wants to naturally develop inside of us, we need to understand this metaphor that Paul used. And this metaphor is fruit. All these positive attributes, these characteristics collectively together are fruit that come from the Spirit of God. We need to understand this. So, so what is fruit? Fruit in its simplest definition is what is produced from life. It's the natural product of life. If a tree is alive and it's healthy, it's naturally going to produce fruit. All right, just humor me for a moment. Let's all try to think like a tree for the next few moments. Can we do that? Okay, you're a tree. You're a big, beautiful tree that, that, that produces fruit. And so you wake up in the morning and you ask yourself, should I produce fruit today? No, no, I don't want to. No, I want to take some me time. You know, it's, it's my time off. I'm going to work on myself. I'm, I'm just going to get under my own shade and just relax. I, I'm not going to work today. I'm not going to produce fruit. Is that what a tree does? Are you sure? Are you thinking really like a tree? Is that what a tree does? No, of course not. What about this? Should I produce fruit today? Well, that tree's been eyeing me, and uh, I want to impress that tree over there. Besides that tree, that tree's producing way more fruit than I am. So yes, I am going to work hard to produce fruit. Is that what happens? Of course not. If a tree is alive, it will pull all that it needs from its source and the natural byproduct is fruit. It comes just from living. So what Paul is saying is that these characteristics, these traits, God himself will produce in us naturally because of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. Do you understand that? Write this down. Here's another big idea. God's, uh, the fruit of God's spirit isn't a challenge to try and make ourselves better, but Christ-like character that God wants to grow. This isn't, let's read this, and I could be a little bit more loving, and I need some patience, and I need some kindness, and, and honey, you, you need some more kindness than I do. And so work on these things. It's not a challenge. It's not a list of nine ways that we can be better. No, it's Christ-like character that God wants to naturally produce inside of us as his spirit leads us, because that's who God is, and that's what he does. So we're going to talk about how we can develop this naturally. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These aren't performance measures. This is what God wants to produce in us as his people. Hear this. 
Who you are is far more important than what you do. Don't miss that. Who you are to God is far more important than what you can produce. You know, we have five values here at this church, and we've gotten these five values from the great commandment and the great commission to love the, the Lord our God with all of who we are, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to go and to make disciples of all the nation and baptize them and teach them and shepherd them. We have five values that, that we believe are the heart of God that we want to live out that help us to measure everything we're doing. Is this in line with the heart of God? And our first value, our primary value as a people of God is love. And you see that all around this church. Love happens here. Here's what we mean by that. God's love for me is why I point other people to him. Because I have been transformed naturally from the inside out and set free from my sinful nature by a God who loves me, who's called me, who's walking with me. I want other people to know about that. Because he first loved me, I'm going to love other people. God's love for me is why I point other people to him. This is our primary, our first value as the people of God, as a church. But when we look at our values and we look at these characteristics of God that he wants to develop in us, the first two are what? Love and joy. So I want you to write this down so you can understand it. True love through us produces real joy in us. True love through us. When, when we've experienced love and now we're living out love, that produces real joy in us. Now, I need you to define some terms because I know we use these, you know, very flippantly. But when I talk about love, I'm not talking about like. And a lot of us use the word love, like, like. Like, I love my wife and I love glazed donuts from Publix. I think they are the best donuts. Fight me if you disagree. But obviously one of those is love and one of those is not. It's, it's like. The love we're talking about is a fully committed, devoted perfect love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that comes from God and all the Bible geeks in here. You know that love as agape. You said it right. Say it louder. Agape love. This is the love we're talking about. And we talk about joy. We're not talking about happiness. Not that anything's wrong with happiness. We all want to be happy. But the problem with happiness is happiness has an end. Something needs to happen for you to be happy. And you can do something in your life to make you happy. You can make some plans that make you happy and accomplish some things. But when something unhappy happens, now you've lost that happiness, right? It rains on your day off. I'm like, man, I had all these plans. I was going to go and walk, and, and now I can't. Your kid drops your iPhone. Has that happened to you? Like, doesn't matter what's happened. It's like, ah, oh, now i got to pay to replace a screen. Someone leaves a nasty comment on social media. Like, wh wh why, why do they say that? What do they mean by good for you, dot, dot, dot? And now the rest of your day, you are unhappy. You see that they watch your story, but they didn't come. And they watch, and then they skipped after this one, right? Like, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. Someone rear-ends your car, ruins your day. You get a call from the doctor. Now all of a sudden, you're no longer happy. And so we're, we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. 
And what joy is, joy is a deep-rooted, unshakable happiness that nothing can change and no thing can take away. This is what we're talking about. The characteristics that God, this fruit that he wants to produce in us is love and is joy. That's what I want to be known for. That's what I want our church to be known for. That we can have joy even when, even if, nothing else around me helps with my happiness. How do we grow that? How do we see that develop in our lives naturally? True love through us produces real joy in us. It starts with love. The primary motivation of the people of God in the Old Testament was to love God. In Deuteronomy, we get the Shema, which is this this declaration that we see all throughout the Old Testament. And it is to love your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And we see this throughout every champion of God in the Old Testament. Their desire, the Psalms, the prophets, it's all about loving God with all of who you are. And now in the New Testament, which we are at now, we see this elevated. We know that the primary descriptor of a, a, a follower of Jesus, a child of God, is love. Jesus himself said the greatest commandment is this, to love your God. He gave the Shema, to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Faith, hope, and love, these three things will remain. They'll last the test of time, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. And we know this, and they knew that back then, but what I want us to understand today is that we can't love like that. This perfect, agape, unconditional, unchanging, wholly committed love, we can't love like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A lot of you, you've heard this. You love hearing it at weddings. It's like, oh, this this is the love chapter. This is what love looks like. God defines love for us. We say these vows and uh, we lie. Love is patient. And kind, a lot of us, we got that. Love does not envy or boast, okay. It's not arrogant, new verse, or rude, period. Oh, okay, so now, now we're stepping on some toes. It does not insist on its own way. I wanna go here for dinner. I don't wanna go there for dinner. I wanna go where I wanna go, okay. It does not uh, insist on its own way. It is not irritable, <laughs> Some of you guys didn't love this morning. You were irritable or resentful. I wish I would have not. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. I told you so. But rejoices with the truth. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that right now. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The great theologian Sade once said, this is no ordinary love. No ordinary love. Doot, 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 doot. This is not an ordinary love. This is a perfect love, and we're imperfect people. This is a supernatural, God-given love that leads to transformation. This is agape love, this perfect love that comes from God. And we love this love, but we can't love like this. Tell someone that. Turn to them and say, we can't love like this. 
I love you, but, but I can't love you like that. These traits, if we're honest, seem humanly impossible to operate in all the time, right? And I share this not to discourage us. I share this to show us how we can grow in us naturally on its own. So John chapter 21, I want you to turn there. It's on your screens at home. Open up your Bible, open up your app. John chapter 21, I'll give us a context as we're heading there. Jesus, the perfect son of God, came and lived a perfect life, set an example for us, and then died. And his disciples who who believed that he would set them free from the tyranny and oppression of their government, they were without hope. But it was Jesus' plan altogether to take our sin and set us free from death by taking our sin upon him and dying on a cross for us, being the perfect son of God. Death could not hold him down. He resurrected three days later. He appeared before his disciples and hundreds of people, and here we have him waiting on the shore. Peter sees him. Peter's gone back to his old life of fishing. He sees Jesus. The Bible says it's a little bit comedic. The Bible says he sees him with the rest of the disciples, but Peter puts on his clothes. Apparently, he was naked and then he jumps out with his clothes on if you're gonna jump in the water why put your clothes on it says they weren't far from shore they both arrive basically at the same time now Peter is soaking wet but Jesus prepares breakfast for them and here's where we're at John 21 15 it says when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these and he said yes Lord you know that I love you And he said to him, feed my lambs. You know that I love you. And Peter, he learned the hard way what it means to love like this. He had declared many times boldly, I will follow you wherever you go. I love you, Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. I will fight for you. I'm never going to leave your side. But when it seemed to matter most, he let him down. When Jesus was being carted off to be crucified, they looked at Peter and said, hey, weren't you with him? And three times, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Peter understood how difficult it was to love like this. He rejected the one who changed his life and eternity when it mattered most. And I want to encourage you with my failure This was my life all throughout high school. I'd go to these summer camps. Our students just got back from summer camp some month and a half ago, and they're filled with hope. And in the next few weeks, there's going to be our movement night that turns this single moment of this camp experience to to something that is continual and perpetual because it's not a one and done. But for me, all throughout my high school years, it was a one and done. I, 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 be transformed at camp. I'd experienced Jesus' love for me. I've committed myself to him. I said at the age of 15, I want to be a pastor. And, and I grew in my faith and, and I grew in my confidence and I just wanted to share this with everyone. And then school starts and all of a sudden now I'm silent. How was your summer, Eric? It was good. What did you do? Um, found myself ashamed, denying what Jesus said. And this went on for three years. I know this story is similar to, to many of us, maybe even today. We come on a Sunday and we're so grateful that his presence is here with us and we understand his love for us and we love his love for us. And then we go back to our homes and 
What did you do today? And we're silent. And we go back to our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhoods and people don't even know that there's a change in our life because we are not seeing it with our actions and we're not speaking it with our words. Some of us, we've done things that we feel ashamed of because we've been ashamed of Jesus. We've missed opportunities. And, and here we have Peter who denied Jesus three times. Jesus gives him the opportunity to reconnect, to recommit regardless of what he'd done in the past, to repent. Here's the next big idea. Before we grow for the future, we must repent of our past. Listen, the best is still before us. We're going to grow. We're going to see growth. We're going to grow some good things together. God is going to do some great things. Get ready, church. But before we grow for the future, we must repent of our past. What does it mean to repent? Maybe you've seen those guys you know, on the corner of Pines or on videos on YouTube. Repent! Stop your sinning or you're going to burn. Is that what it means to repent? Is that what you're asking us to do? That word repent, it, mean, it doesn't mean stop sinning. Stop it. If we could, we would. But we don't have it in our own power to stop and if we try to stop our sinning, that's a work. And we can't work ourselves to salvation. So what does it mean to repent? Repent means a change of thinking that naturally leads to a change of action. It means to first start with a change of thinking. To repent means to change the way that you think. Think about your sin. That is not something that is fun. It's not something that fulfills, but something that separates. It's something that, 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 that hurts us, that kills and poisons us. To change our thinking about who, who Jesus is, that he's not just some statuesque figure with his shirt open and his heart exposed and him giving you a high five. He's not some distant God who's not aware of what's going on. But he, he's, he's a friend who loves you and who's with you always. It's a change of thinking about who you are, that you are not less than, that you are not worthless, but you are created in the image of God and your life has so much inherent value and purpose. And this change of thinking of who God is and where you're at in your sin and what you do with your life, it leads to an action. It leads to surrender, which naturally leads to sanctification and transformation. Before we can grow for the future, we must repent of our past. Before Peter lives out the mission of setting people who are oppressed free, Jesus wanted him to publicly repent so that people knew where he stood. He had to repent of his past. Now notice Jesus calls Peter what? Simon. He calls him Simon. If you don't remember this, his name was Simon, and when Jesus called him and commissioned him for ministry, he said, hey, your name's not Simon anymore. Your name's not Petros. You're not a little rock. Your name's now Peter. It's Petras. You are connected to a solid rock, and I'm going to use you to help set people free. He gives him this new name, but here we find Jesus calling him by his old name. Why? Because Peter is acting like Simon. Peter went back to his old ways. Peter went back to what he knew because what he thought wasn't working out. And I want to encourage someone here today. You're hurting. Life isn't the way that you expected. But don't go back to what you used to know. 
Don't go back to that old way of living. That old you is not going to grow the character that God wants to develop in you. That old circle, that old way of thinking, those old environments that you were so familiar with, they're not who you are today in Jesus. And this is where Simon Peter was. And Jesus wanted to remind him of who he was and what he was called to and how he could grow. And so he asked him, he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Did you love me more than the fishing boats and the food and working with your hands? I'm not talking about that love. Are you wholly committed to me? Do you agape me is what Jesus specifically asked in verse 15. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this love is not the love. The word that Peter used was not this prideful proclamation of his past. I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to forsake. I'm going to be with you always, wherever you go. He, he was heartbroken because he realized that his words didn't match his actions and vice versa. And so humbled and broken, he says, I love you, Lord, but you know, you know, I just phileo you. And not that phileo is a lesser type of love. It's just more of an affection and a feeling than a devotion and a commitment. He says, I, you know, I'm not fully committed to you. You know what I did, but I love you. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Jesus gave him the opportunity to reconnect, to recommit, to say that he would follow him three times. To let him know and to let the disciples know, I'm a God of second chances. I'm a God of transformation. Who you are is not who you have to be. But Peter is upset. And quite possibly the reason Peter's upset specifically this third time is because of Jesus' language choice. Jesus didn't ask again, do you agape me? Do you love me with an unconditional love? He used a term that Peter's been using. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? And maybe what went through Peter's mind is this hurt and pain. I can't love him the way that he wants me to love him. I can't love him the way that he's loved me. Is he questioning even, do I have any affection toward him? And he, he taps into Jesus' omnipotence. He says, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you, but I don't love you like that. You know that breaks my heart. And Jesus says, well, I want you to take care of my sheep. My love for you needs to be poured out to love for other people. But what happened here is something significant. What happened here is growth. Because prior to this, again, Peter jumped out of a boat, got soaking wet. All the disciples were like, what? Dude, we're here. Why'd you do that? And this is just continual with Peter's character of acting quickly and brashly based off his feelings and emotions. But after this, after this moment, we see a transformation in Peter. 
We see someone who, who is not operating on feelings, but operating on his faith and is filled with joy so much that when he's brought before the religious leaders who say, stop talking about him, and if you don't, you will be punished, you will be jailed, you will be tortured, you might even be killed. We have a new Peter who says, I can't not not talk about Jesus. It would be my pleasure to suffer for him because he's given me everything and nothing is going to change this love. We see a transformation after this. Where did this transformation happen? How did this transformation occur? How can we experience this for ourselves today? We can't love like this, but what Peter learned in that moment was that we need something beyond our own strength. We can't love and serve God on our own strength. We would love to, but every time in and of ourselves, we are going to fail. Because this is a supernatural, spiritual, perfect love, and we are imperfect people. And when we fail, when we fail to keep our commitments, when we keep silent about this love that is transformed, when we miss an opportunity because we're too ashamed or too afraid to do something about it, our happiness weans. We can't love like this. But the key the key to this growth of it happening naturally in us, the key to true love producing real love in us is this final big idea. Christ-like character grows in us when we learn to rely. Someone say rely. Rely instead of try. Hear me. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to do and be better. This isn't permission for all of us to do nothing. That's not how stewardship works. And this is our year of stewardship for us to faithfully work. What God has given to us is what it means to be a faithful steward. But as we begin this journey of God developing character and spiritual fruit in our lives, we have to first start not with the doing but the something that we have. We have to learn to rely on the love that God has for us already instead of trying to think, how am I going to love my children more? How am I going to love my neighbor more? How am I going to be concerned like everyone else is about the lives of black people, the lives of Cuba, the lives of everything that's happening? How? Because I'm trying, I'm trying, I don't get it. We have to first learn to rely on his love. That's what happens when we're in his love Fruit is produced naturally. When we rely on him for our source of life, he develops character inside of us automatically. And this is what happened with Peter. This is a change, this is a growth that happened. So much, in fact, he lived it out that at the end of his life, this is what he wrote in 1 Peter 5.1. And I'm gonna ask you all to stand as we begin to close today with the reading of God's word. 1 Peter 5.1 he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. The word of God says that the sufferings of this present day aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul experienced this naturally, and it's led to love and joy in his life. 
He says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because I've got to, because I'm a Christian and I come to church, but willingly as God would have you, which is his desire that you would naturally experience this, not for shameful gain, not to be better, but eagerly, not domineering those who are over your charge, not with pride, but being examples to the flock. In verse six, he says, humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, humble yourself under his ways, his word, his spirit leading, guiding, convicting, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And here's the why. Here's the growth. Casting all your anxieties upon him. Why? What did Peter understand? Because he cares for you. This is a supernatural love and joy. These are godly characteristics that we're talking about. And there's no way in and of our own strength that we can accomplish this, but God wants to develop it in our lives. And when they are produced, our families benefit. Our marriages and, and children are strengthened. Opportunities open. Relationships are formed with our neighbors. Grace has flowed. Forgiveness is felt. But we can't do it on our own. So as we begin to talk about what it means to be locally grown and the fruit that the Spirit of God wants to produce in us today. Let me just give you a synopsis of the entire series, okay? I'm not trying to teach us something new to us. You may learn some new things. The Holy Spirit may reveal some things to you that you hadn't considered before, but I'm not here today to try to teach us some things that we've never heard before. I want us simply to go back to the very basics. That's His presence that changes all of our lives. And so today, let's learn to lean and rely on his presence. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, You matter to God and you matter to us.